You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. I had 15 separate injuries. I was stabbed in the neck, which was a millimetre from my jugular. Had that hit that vein, I'd have had four minutes to live. My head was you'd stamped all over me. It was a broken eye socket, broken nose. I had stab wounds, defence wounds to the back of my hand where I was obviously trying to protect myself. Um, a broken arm. Um, I'd lost lots of blood. Um, yeah, I was in and out of consciousness. I was... I'm lucky to be here. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. This week, I'm really happy to welcome a very special guest into the Intel Cell, Zoe Dromfield. Zoe is an incredible survivor and campaigner, and you'll hear her intro herself in the episode. Now, I've been working with Zoe for a number of years on the Serial Domestic Abuser and Stalker Register campaign. You'll also hear more about how we met in this episode. What I will say is that Zoe is an absolute warrior, and you're going to hear firsthand how she survived against the odds due to her own determination and quick thinking. As she once said to me, I should be dead. And yes, she is incredibly lucky to be alive. Now you heard some of what happened at the top of this episode when Zoe was held hostage for eight hours and tortured, and you're going to hear more. Listener discretion is advised. Zoe's case may be triggering and or upsetting for some, and it should be angry-making for all. We rarely hear the complete story, as it's not just about what happened in those eight hours that's important. But unfortunately, it's what most media outlets focus on, as if that is the entire story, when it's not. So you're going to hear Zoe describe in her own words what was going on in the weeks and months prior to those eight hours. You'll hear Zoe and I discuss and reflect on what the warning signs and lessons are, and importantly, what needs to change. And you're going to hear this conversation in three parts. Zoe and I are united in wanting other women and girls to learn about the warning signs, and it's really brave of Zoe to be so honest and share them, because this can happen to anyone. And it does. You'll also hear about our activism and campaigning work focusing on the perpetrators, those serial domestic abusers and stalkers who target and abuse many women. And we've been campaigning now to ensure that these serial perpetrators are proactively held to account for their behaviour and effectively risk managed, which means closing down their behaviour. So strap yourselves in. Here's part one with the amazing Zoe Dromfield. Hi there, Zoe. It's great to see you and speak with you again. Why don't you introduce yourself for all the crime analysts that have jumped on to listen to this interview? Um, Zoe Dromfield. I'm a victim slash survivor of um, stalking and domestic abuse. And a fierce warrior who has been working with me for many yeah, years now, I'm not actually. Only, I'm not only that, but, you know, for the purposes of this, I, yeah, I'm a businesswoman, I'm a mother, I'm many other things. <laughs> Absolutely. We always say that, you know, whatever happens in your life, it doesn't totally define you. But of course, there have been so many things that have happened with you and your case and what we're fighting for now that I thought it would be really good for all my listeners to hear firsthand from you rather than me characterizing things that it's so much better for people to hear in your own words what happened and I've talked a lot about the campaign that we've been working on about serial perpetrators and of course that's something that you felt incredibly strongly about mm -hmm. given what happened and yeah. so perhaps let's go back in time and perhaps you can tell everyone where you were in your life when you first met Jason Smith. So I um, I'd 
moved back home with my father at that point in my life. My father was living on his own. I previously ran a childcare agency and, um, you know, I ran that agency for five years and I had 40 staff out um, looking after children that were on the protection register or um, had disabilities. And there was a, a big case. I don't know whether your listeners will be aware of it, but it's the Baby P case, which was quite high profile at the time. And I pretty much lost my business overnight because of that case, because what the council did was froze contracts that were with the outside agencies. And I was an outside agency providing support to the council at that time. So, you know, I could have sat there and waited, but I was only a small business. So that was why I ended up moving back home with my dad. So I had the um, the children and moved back home with my dad. The children were... Uh, let me think, three and seven, around that time, I think. I'd closed the business and then rented out my house, um, you know, save me losing what I'd, what I'd built. And I had, I was a single mom, so I wasn't with the, the fathers of my children. Uh, they've got different fathers as a, a five-year age gap, four-year age gap, four and a half years. Um and how I met Jason was online. So originally we started talking on Facebook. So at the time, Facebook I used to use as like a marketing tool because I previously had a, a shop in the city centre. And I used to use it just to market things. So I'd add people on there. So there was I had a lot of friends on Facebook that were probably customers, acquaintances. And I just thought, you know, that's where he that's how he'd got onto my Facebook. So he just happened to pop up one day. Or no, he was he posted a post actually about a car that he was selling. And I said, oh that's a nice car. Uh, and then we just kind of started chatting from there. And I you know I didn't think anything of it. It was just, you know, um, just a normal kind of communication to begin with, I suppose. And then who asked who out? How did it then transgress into you both deciding to meet in the real world, as it were? Yeah, so um, I've probably been talking to him for, he'd pop up every time I was online, he would pop up, say hi. And he told me, you know, because he was selling cars, I said, oh, I used to sell cars. So we had something in common. I noticed he had a daughter. His daughter was in between the ages of my children. So, it, you know, we had something in common there. He was a father. He was also single. And so, you know, it started off as a normal conversation about a car, but then it eventually got flirty. And he asked me if I was single. I said I was. And, and then, he, you know, he started hinting, well, we should meet up. We should go out for a drink. And I'd, I'd just come out of a bad relationship. My, the relationship with my um, daughter's father wasn't great. And to be honest, my self-esteem was pretty much on the floor. And, I, you know, I was at the, at the beginning of the, of the communications with Smith, you know, I was flattered by the attention. So because uh, I hadn't had any attention like that for a long time. I'd had the children. The children were really young and I'd spent most of my time working on the business <laughs> then recently shirt. Um, so I was, you know, busy. And then he was quite persistent. He would po often pop up and, you know, I was, I was a single mom, so I wasn't going out in the evenings. So I'd sit and have a glass of wine and then he'd pop up. We'd be chatting. And then we arranged to... We arranged to meet each other. He was quite persistent in asking, you know, do you want to go out? No, I'm not sure. I thought, you know what, why not? And I didn't, I didn't really tell anybody about him. It was kind of like, I'm not really like that anyway, I suppose. I don't really tell a lot of people what's going on in my private life. And then we arranged to go up to my local pub and we met up there and, you know, the date was great, to be honest. He was funny. He was charming. He was, um, you know, listening to everything I had to say, asking me about the children, their fathers. And I suppose, you know, in hindsight, I was 
very open, probably too open. I think that was probably a, a massive vulnerability that I had because I I kind of judged everybody on my, the way I am, you know, and you don't think that when you give somebody information, it, it's going to somehow ever be used against you. And I think the fact that I'd come out of the relationship with Sophia's dad, and that was a struggle. Yeah, you know, you're looking for kind of validation. You know, and I told him all about this. You know, I said he was, you know, he would go off at the weekends and not come home. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't, wouldn't accept that behavior. And he was like, oh, horrified. And I kind of gave him the, the rule book <laughs> of what I would and wouldn't accept at the, at the outset. But obviously, you know, this is me talking with hindsight. At the time, I didn't realize this at all. And then the end of the, the date, God, I just thought, this guy's amazing. How is he single? And of course, and you know, you're wrapped up in the kind of the, the, the buzz of the, the newly dating somebody. You know, it's always fun, isn't it, at the beginning? Um, and at the end of the date, he dropped me home in a taxi. So he knew where I lived. Um, I worked from home and I told him this because I'd moved into um, an IT role. And then the next day he turned up outside of the house. He, I, I got a text of him saying, oh, look outside. And um, I was like, oh, my God, he's not here, is he? You know, <laughs> it's a bit, that's a bit much. I, I, I did feel like I took back, like who the hell turns up the next day date one and he was outside he was outside my house and he was just like oh I'm just passing I was in the car so I thought I'd just come by and say hi and my dad I, I went outside to say hello to him and then my dad I, and he was like oh, I've got to go back to work and then my dad started coming out the the garden I was like get back in dad you know I'm embarrassed I was embarrassed about my dad coming out embarrassing me and he was like is that that guy you went on the date with I said yeah and he was like, well, he's keen, isn't he? I was like, well, yeah, you know. But we kind of laughed about it and that was it. You know, it was brushed off as, as you know, he, he's keen. Something that he'd also done when we were on the, the date was he'd um, checked us in. Well, he'd checked himself in on Facebook. You know, you can check yourself into a, a location. He checked himself into the pub, tagged me into it and said, having drinks with Zoe Dromfield. Well, of course, my I hadn't looked at my phone all night, but when I got back and after the date and looked at my phone, my friends were all like, who's this guy? Who's this tagging you in on Facebook? And I was like, oh, God, you know, I don't really, I, I just wanted to have this date quietly and not nobody needed to know about it, but that didn't happen. So, you know, I never thought anything of those things that happened, you know, in terms of the checking in on Facebook, in terms of the dropping me home and then turning up the next day. I now, now what I know, now what I went through, I realised that he was crossing boundaries from day one and just seeing what he could get away with. Albeit, I still remember you saying to me that when he turned up the next day, you instinctively felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And because you were so busy, you were working and, yeah. you know, somebody had encroached on your time unannounced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But your dad's reaction was to normalise it in the sense, oh, he's keen, making a joke about it. And then you rationalise it and then you start to think, oh, well, maybe I'm being a bit, you know, yeah. dramatic there. Yeah. But I remember your gut instinct of, of what you said. And, and like you say now, you're piecing, you've pieced things together over time mm. and now you know these things are red flags. And yeah. sadly, it happens in so many cases where... Women go on a date, you say far too much about previous relationships, you've had a few glasses of wine, and you feel it's going really well, you're being listened to, heard, you feel special, you feel connected, yeah. and that all feels really good. Yeah. And sometimes you miss the clues and the cues that somebody might be storing up information, or maybe they're not talking and communicating their story quite so much. So you don't really know who they are, but they have a very good sense of who you are and your needs, your wants, your desires. And as you said, you were quite clear, this is what I want in a relationship going forward. These are my deal breakers. So of course, they can then be chameleon-esque and be all the things that you want them to be. 
So the the red flags, I mean, I talk about it a lot when I'm training people and dating and even with friends, uh, you know, we know these things with hindsight. And I know you're very keen that people understand those red flags. Yeah. It's not about judgment of you or your behavior. It's just understanding how he finagled his way mm. into your life. And, and I, think, I think that context is important. It's yeah. more about what he chose to do, but also how we can learn to spot yeah. these signs and maybe ask more questions, trust your instincts more, mm. slow things down a bit. But of course, he was keen to accelerate things. Mm. I think I, I lost my mother when I was six years old, so I didn't grow up with that, you know, um, female perspective on dates. So, you know, my dad saying that, that's all I kind of had to to judge it against. So that's exactly it. You know, that's exactly why I think that people need to be educated on these things because it's so easy to just pass things off as flattery when actually somebody is get trying to get information, crossing boundaries that actually it's not healthy. And you... You know, it, I didn't have that, um, not guard up, but, you know, the, the the questioning that you would, you know, if I'd gone home to my mom, for example, as, as a 20 something uh, and said these things, she may have said something like, well, that's a bit much on the first date, you know, and, and question. And I don't tend to have those kind of conversations with friends either. So I'm taking my dad's perspective on it. And that's why I think it's really key that people are educated on what to look out for. And, you know, it's nice to be flattered, but let's not get flattered to death. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. No pun intended, but that, exactly. that can be the reality, you know, yeah. that we all want to feel special. We all want to be seen and we all want to be heard and feel connected. That's actually what makes us human. But I think the boundaries mm. are the things that most people don't think about, you know, yeah. boundary setting. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I remember going on a date with a guy when I'd moved to L.A. and he was very affronted by the fact I wouldn't let him drive me to where I was living. I wouldn't let him drive me to the door. And he was so incensed about it. That was the first and last date. Something like that shouldn't make or yeah. break a situation. It shouldn't be a deal breaker and it shouldn't create a scene or an argument that when you lay out your boundaries, it's being confident that mm. these are the things that are important to me. And when you're going into the dating scene, that you know what those things are. Because mm. I think oftentimes girls and women don't really know totally. what those things are for them yeah. of you know, what are their deal breakers? And if someone transgresses those boundaries, it's okay to say, you know what, you're not for me. Mm. You know, these are the things that are important to me. This isn't going to work out, but I wish you the best. And I think too often girls and women, we're groomed and conditioned to be polite, yeah. to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be compassionate, to not hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. So we rarely assert our needs because yeah. we're we're always looking to try and make someone else feel comfortable or to mm -hmm. not upset somebody. And that's, I think a lot of girls and women have to do a lot of work in that area. And I mentor quite a lot of young 
women in particular, where they say, is this normal or this happened yeah. on a date? Is that normal? So everything that you're describing, Zoe, I think, and compounded by the fact you didn't have your mom to have that conversation with, mm-hmm. you know, allowed Jason Smith really to finagle his way into your life. And he presented, you know, in a way that I remember you saying that a lot of your friends said, wow, he's, he's amazing. He's yeah. Really I mean, they totally validated you... the, the fact that he was just be. Uh, they just saw this person because after we started dating for a number of weeks, my dad became really ill and then he ended up in hospital. And that's how he then infiltrated my life further, because he then positioned himself to be able to help with the children. And, you know, there was by this point he's great he's you know oh my god he's got a a daughter himself I you know I'd met her I'd met her mom I'd met his family but there were the odd red flags along the way but because he's what were some of the other things that you you now know so I think that the meeting the the meeting his daughter's mother was more of a parade of me in her face. You know, I don't, it wasn't, I don't, he does now, now I know what I know about him. It doesn't strike me that he did that as a, you know, oh, it'd be great if you met the mother of my child because I'm such a great father. It was, look at my new girlfriend, look at her, she's a businesswoman, look what, now look what I've got, I've replaced you with this or, you know, it, it was, I don't believe. Kind of like a bragging. Yeah. And like a triangulation, you know, like, and just the, the, the things that I've read about the traits of his personality, it was, it, I did. And, and I know that he's not, you know, like one of the things that when I met his family, you know, um, Jason wasn't allowed to have his daughter on his own. That should have been an alarm bell. I don't even know why it wasn't. Why wasn't he allowed to have his daughter? He was allowed to have his daughter if he was with me and she came to my house, but he was not allowed to have his daughter on his own. And then when it was always supervised contact then. Yeah. 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 Big red flag right there. Yeah. And, you know, going to his parents' house, they had Yale locks, which are like a front door key lock on the internal bedroom doors. Which I just think, why would you even need that? What? And I What's remember, going on yeah, to need them? Why would yeah. you need to lock your internal bedroom doors? So that was something that was just, but these things just struck me as odd. I didn't really go, okay. And I didn't really question, I didn't question him either. Because it's not like me to be nosy, poke my nose into people. But it's, you know, why would they there? <laughs> Yeah. But being curious, I mean, that's one of my things I would say on crime analysts to be curious, ask more questions and always trust your instincts and everything we're now describing or you're describing are those moments of, Mm. I knew that was odd. And that's probably a point where I should have asked some questions. And now when I go back, I can join these things together. Mm. And that is another very important point, you know, when something doesn't sit right. And I think particularly when you're busy, a busy person Mm. and you know, you had your dad in hospital, you've got two little ones, you're running a, a business. Mm. So it's not like you had a huge amount of mental space or capacity. And I think certainly when I've talked to other women, because they're multitasking so many things, yeah. it's not always that you've got a lot of thinking time. But that's yeah. why that trusting that instinct to ask more questions and to really be curious and to know that, you know, it's a very important decision who you're inviting into your life mm. and yeah. knowing those things, particularly unsu- not not allowed um, unsupervised contact with your own child, that's a big red flag. No matter what someone says, yeah. you still want to know exactly the reason why. And then you would probably want to corroborate that with mm. somebody else. Mm. You know, and the things you describe about his ex, that it was much more about sort of rubbing her face in it rather mm. than him trying to harmonise his yeah. family yeah. because it was in his daughter's interest. Mm. And it's in all your interests for you all to get along that you had an inkling that it was much more about bragging rights and rubbing her nose in it rather than his daughter's interest, mm-hmm. which sounds like another red flag. Yeah. And then it, there was, you know, just just the family 
dynamic. The dad said something to me one day when we, Jason had gone out the room, his mum had gone out the room, and oh no, his mum was his mum and dad were in the room. They were having a cup of tea around their house, and he said, "You're not mad like the others, are you? You're not one of these nutters." Meaning is Jason's exes. And then, you know, another red flag, because... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's Uh, one of my biggest ones. That's why I always say to people, if you're dating someone, ask how it ended with their ex. Yeah. Get an understanding. You know, if if they're saying, oh, my exes were psychos, but there's one common denominator and it's them, then it's probably the pattern, the problem is them. Yeah. So I'm always very interested in how people describe their last Mm -hmm. relationship. That was one of my key questions when I started dating again, so that I understood how they left relationships and Mm -hmm. how they described a person that they were, you know, at some point in love with. I think Mm -hmm. that tells you a lot about a person. But in amongst this, though, he was you know, the perfect partner, because all your friends were, wow, he's helping you out with the kids, with your dad. I mean, yeah. what would you do without him? Because it sounds obvious now, doesn't it, when you pull these things yeah. out? Yeah, but at the time... But actually, in the round of everything else... Yeah, at the, at the time, Dad was in hospital seriously early, got um, something called... I had a meeting one morning, in, and he used to do the school run for me if I had meetings. Um, and he got up one morning and said, I can't feel my legs. I was like, Dad, I can't. I've got a meeting, I've got to go. And literally within 24 hours, he's on a trackie in intensive care and he'd been induced into a coma and my world just went upside down overnight. And then, you know, Jason stepped in. He was he was like my saviour and that's how it was positioned with, you know, all of my friends. That's how they positioned it to me. Like, oh my God, what would you do without him? You know, you haven't got a mom. Now you haven't got your dad. You've got no support network. And it's like, yeah, I know, you know, God, I should be grateful for this, this help that I'm getting. And, and so, you know, he never officially moved in with me, but he was, he was very much with me all the time then, you know, and helping with the children, dropping them to school, picking them up. He was selling cars so he could come and go as he pleased. And so, yeah, it was just completely validated. It's, and it felt like it, it was, he was the one that was the saviour at the time. Yeah, when and it was you were so grateful difficult. for that. Yeah. Grateful and, for you know, his help. We was, and we were still, and, and the children would go off to their fathers at the weekend and we would still have that time where we were, you know, he'd be whining and dining me. And even that, it was like, well, with all the stress of everything that was going on, somebody to be taking me off to a hotel and like go, you know, let's just forget about it. Forget about everything that's been going on. Let's go and stay somewhere. And he would pretty much organise everything. But it felt like that's what I needed. But, I, but I'm but i an independent woman. <laughs> I'm a businesswoman. I'm a mother. I'm usually in control of everything that's going on in my life. I don't need to be told what to do. But it was... You know, I gradually gave away parts of my time and like control over elements of what I would do with my time to him. But not in a, you know, I didn't see it at the time that this was a bad thing because it was, you know, we were doing fun things. But it gradually as time went on it would be if I was trying to arrange a girls night he would say well I've booked a hotel at the weekend so you really really are you going to go out with the girls or are you going to come to the hotel with me and I would feel guilty because he'd done so much to help me that I would cancel my plans and my friends would be like oh what again but yeah I suppose he has been really good though hasn't he you know what would you do so it was always he was the saviour. And he he played all of this out on Facebook as well. You know, he was very constantly taking selfies of us wherever we were, checking us in. Look at our fantastic, like, popping bottles of champagne, you know, doing all of these fancy things. And so people would then be commenting on the pictures and the things online going, oh, my God, he's so amazing. What an amazing life. Oh, you've got a keeper there, Zoe. You know, oh, my God, when's, when are you getting married? And so all of this is like... You know, all of this is validating the behaviour that, that he's that he's presenting to me, that he's this perfect guy. And it's intoxicating. I mean, it yeah. is when, 
course it is. You I mean, know, I'd come out of a relationship. Going through a hard time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, going through a hard time, I'd shut a business. I felt my self-esteem was really low. You know, I felt my ex made me feel like the most unattractive person in the world. And, you know, even when I was pregnant, he would say disgusting things to me like I was fat. You're disgusting, you know. And so, you know, when Jason was calling me his princess and you would hold my face, go, oh, you're beautiful. You know, it was all the stuff I needed to hear to build my self-esteem off the floor. So at the time, none of this was a red flag to me. Right. And I'm so sorry your ex was like that to you. And, you know, being pregnant now and you understand how vulnerable you are and your body changing and your own self image management, all those things, because you do feel so much bigger, of course you put on weight. And so to have someone who supposed to love you and care for you and support you and nurture you saying those things at that vulnerable time, I can imagine that that really did have an impact Mm -hmm. on your self-esteem. It makes me angry hearing about a man saying those things to you, which is abuse. And Mm. it's no wonder that in another vein, that when you've got the polar opposite of that, that of course it feels good and feels amazing. And your dad was in hospital and we talked about that before. He had Guillain-Barre, which is a very aggressive immune disorder that attacks yourself. It's your body attacking yourself. And actually, most of the time, it ends with someone dying because it's not caught in time. So your dad was really lucky in a way Mm. that they diagnosed him early. I've had two close people to me diagnosed with it. It is rare, but it's terrifying. Mm. It's really scary when it happens. So I can understand for you, Zoe, that there was so much happening. And here's this guy who's whisking you away and making you feel good about yourself and giving you a, a yeah. moment out of your reality. Yeah. And I want people to understand that, that whole context of how these things happen. It's not someone making bad decisions or bad choices. Actually, it's yeah. more about Jason Smith playing everything that you needed and being everything that you needed. And cosmetic management, image management was very important to him. Mm-hmm. And he had gone down this road many times before with other women. It was a practiced behavior. So it's much more about him. But of course, we want other women to understand the context and learn the lessons, even if they just have that niggling feeling, you know, a light bulb comes on or in their gut, they just feel something's not right to ask more questions about it. And that's why we're having a very open and honest conversation. And I want to thank you for being so honest. So at which point or when when do things change and you start to feel that things so, aren't quite what, or he's not quite what he seems. So kind of, I don't know, six months into the relationship, seven months, eight months, you know, quite a few months gone by. We've been dating, but life had become less about the glamour and the fern and everything. Cause dad was ill. Cause it's such a severe thing that he had. He was in hospital for 12 months. So I was having to, look after the children, go and see my dad, you know, and having to fit all of this around my full-time work as well. So Jason would start getting quite frustrated with me doing these normal things, you know. And then, you know, he was getting frustrated with things that he previously found, that, that he previously was happy to do. So like with helping with the children. And so you know, it becomes stressful for me because when he didn't want to help with it or he could, he said he couldn't help with the children. I was then having, you know, I had that worry that, you know, I've got, I've got to deal with the children in order for me to be able to work. So, and then he, he started to just become aloof, I suppose, like really aloof in his attitude towards me. And you know, if I did go out with the girls, he'd be just on the phone constantly um, contacting me. I remember one time we went out, actually, and I was with a, a friend and we popped back to somebody's house for a drink to decide where we were going. And Jason rang me and said, what are you doing there? And he knew the location. And I said, how do you know I'm there? <laughs> you know, because first of all, I just thought, well, what's you don't tell me where I can go for a start. And also, how do you even know that I'm there? And he said he'd tracked me on Facebook because Facebook used to show 
the default position for this Facebook app for the location thing that they'd switched on was on. So it was so if you're friends with somebody, they could check where you are, which was completely dangerous. So he'd done that, and then he was like, "Well, you need to get back now. I'm I'm furious that you're there, and what are you doing there? I thought you were going here, uh, you know." And I'll send a taxi. And in the end, you know, my friends are in the background going, oh, tell him to sod off, you know, and and making a joke out of it, thinking that's a normal response. Like the girl's like, shut up. But he was really angry. And I just thought, well, it's my night's ruined. I may as well just go home. So so things like that were happening. So it just didn't, it just started to feel uncomfortable. It wasn't, but then I still had this niggling guilt that he's done so much to help me, but then, I'm not really one to put up with shit either because so, I'd already been through a bad relationship. So I was like, really not going to be tested. So when I got home and said, look, what on earth are you playing at? Don't ever track me again. Don't ever ring me. I'm switching that bloody thing off. And then he was, oh, I'm sorry. It was as if he would just say the right things, you know, that he wouldn't do that again. And he didn't realise that it would it, it, up, it would upset me like that. I mean, there was another time where... I posted something on David Beckham had done a um, Calvin Klein. <laughs> this is really silly, but he did a Calvin Klein boxer short advert, and I posted it, tagged my friends, and I said, "What about this or something?" on Facebook, and he phoned me bloody furious, like I'm mean, literally furious, going, "Get that down!" And I had to talk him down. So it was just a joke, you know. I'm not even. It's not like I'm going to meet David Beckham, but it was like these. You know, if it, his responses to things started to be totally dramatic, and it and it wasn't he wasn't that person to begin with, if you like. So he'd been out with me and my girls. He could see what we were like when we were out. But and at one point he'd said something about one of my friends, and I remember her saying to me, oh, "He's trying to say that I." have done something basically she went we we all came back to my house after a night out and she come back to the house first with Jason because she needed to go to use the toilet and he said to me that she'd left the door open so he could see and it was just bizarre because uh, 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 to say something like that to me but and we just went yeah okay whatever and and my friend who it was it is the kind of thing she would do it sounds ridiculous but it's the kind of thing she would do not thinking anything of it because she's quite an open person and but it she was really bothered by this because if she'd have done it she'd have gone I absolutely did that so what you know but she was like absolutely adamant I did not do that so I was like don't worry about it I know what you like you lunatic but he now, when I think back to that, you know, she was really furious about it because she was like, I did not do it, Zoe. And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we all thought that she did. But I, he made that up. He must have made that up. For her to react like that, he made that up. And there was small there was small things along the way, you know, like I got a not small things. I got a message off a, off a girl on Facebook who said, your boyfriend, sorry to bother you, but your boyfriend's messaging my mum. And he's, her mum was in her 50s or something, you know, about 10 or 15 years older than me. And, like, he's starting to be abusive and he's pretending to be a police officer. And I just thought, what on earth is she going on about? And I didn't believe it. And I just thought, and, you know, I, and I said to Jason, I said, what's this that you've apparently been messaging someone? He was like, oh, what another nutter you know of course I haven't done why would I do that why would I need to do that when I've got you babe da, da, da. so I just blocked her um but I now think that that's true I think he was doing that because he wasn't now because I know that he is a serial offender and I know that he has done this before and I know that he, it's in his nature to be abusive I think he wasn't abusing me at this point but he was abusing other people he was getting his kicks and elsewhere and actually the impersonating a police officer is interesting because his ex was a police officer and that's on date two or three I remember him talking about her and saying that she was a nutter and that she'd hid in the garden and waited for him to to get home and then 
it turns out that actually he had abused her. Yeah. It's a sure way to stop women from talking to each other by saying mm. someone's a nutter or they're crazy. And then it means mm. you don't ask any more questions because you mm. think, and we're all groomed to think women are crazy ever since fatal attraction and all the things mm. in movies that make women out to look like the, the women scorned who do terrible things where actually it's men who at far greater rates kill women and act in that way versus yeah. what we see in, in movies. But of course, who writes the movies? So yeah. that, that doesn't surprise me. And it's now when you join all these things together, you know, you mentioned some of them are small things. Actually, they're big things because mm. he was trying to drive a wedge between you and your friends. Yeah. And your friends have always really mattered to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've always been very social. So him just sowing the seed of doubt to make you, yeah. even in the back of your mind, just question your friend's behavior. Yeah, yeah. Because it does make you just see things slightly differently. Yeah. You may not think, oh, well, it's no big deal. But actually, did she do that? Was she trying to come on to him? Was there some kind of weird vibe? So now you start looking at her behavior, which mm -hmm. means you're not really looking at his behavior. Yeah. So they're actually very clever tactics that are used for, by manipulators who are very experienced and good at what they do. Mm. And having a, an answer for everything, you know, being able to assage you by... I'm sorry it won't happen again. I didn't realize it made you feel like that. Yeah. You know, it just sounds to me he was very good at reading emotional temperatures of people, whether yeah. it be you, yeah. your friend. And I think, he, you know, he was in car sales. He's in sales. He's sales trained, you know, and these are the things that you're taught. I've done, I worked in car sales and these are the things that you are taught. You're taught to read people and, and mirror people and their sales techniques. And, what we know now is he's a serial offender. And he, by the time he'd got to me, he'd been offending from school age. So from the moment he noticed girls, he'd been offending. Yeah, whatever we know about someone's behaviour is only tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say that to law enforcement when I train them. We don't know really anything other than what either someone offers up to us or maybe an insight, a perpetrator even gives us or we get from them but normally we only see a fraction of that behavior and it sounds like he was very well practiced mm -hmm. in terms of this was his trade craft mm -hmm. whilst you're busy with life children your dad your work you've got multiple different things that you're engaged with but his trade craft is ensnaring and entrapping women mm -hmm. and running rings around them and all of the women were single parents single mothers and it's as if because then you know that they are because you are kind of as a single mother you're you're at home alone in the evening because you you have to be at home to put your children to bed then you're there you're vulnerable you're emotionally available to that kind of in especially if you've Absolutely. come out of a relationship that's bad as well absolutely and then he, someone comes along who's then nice looking, seems to have his shit together, yeah. you know, seems to be a dad and yeah. interested in his daughter. So you have some common ground. So mm. there's mirroring, there's matching, but it sounds like there was some victimology there. He understood that there would be other needs for single mums and he could fit right into what those needs are and present very well. Mm. Well, let's, t let's talk about because um, you did mention before to me that he would take your children to school. He would use your dad's car and, mm. you know, he was very happy to do that. Then he seemed a bit apathetic and was more aloof and not interested in doing that. And mm. you challenged him on it, didn't you? And because sometimes he would just take your dad's car and yes. disappear. And so you started to ask more questions. Say, say a little bit about that. Yeah. So dad's car was just sitting outside the house and obviously he's still in hospital. So I'd said to dad, can we now at this point, uh, Jason had lost his job selling cars. So he didn't have the car because before he would have company cars so I was like, you know, Dad, can we just use the car when we need to, you know, if I've got a meeting and Jason wants to take the, can take the kids, then can we just use the car for that? Yeah, that's fine. Just don't keep, just don't use it as your everyday vehicle. So we don't want all the miles on it. You know, it, it will reduce the value, blah, blah. And so it started off, yes, he abided by that rule. But then it became, well, you know, he'd turn up, pick, 
the keys up, off he'd go in the car. And I'd be like, well, hang on a second. You can't, it's not your car. It's not even my car. It's my father's car. And then, you know, I af- after what happened, I found out that there was about 15 parking tickets that he'd got on the car, probably more, to be honest, that they, he'd just been parking it in town, leaving it on double yellows, whatever. But he'd actually been writing to the council, pretending to be my dad and challenging the tickets and he knew in, the, how the, name. in my dad's name and knew how to he knew if he challenged them he would get away with it. it it would only go so many times and he would get away with it because I remember finding these the, a, a ticket one day and I was like you've got a ticket on my dad's car for god's sake and he's like, don't worry about it. I'm sorting out. I'm challenging. I, I, I'll just write to them. It won't, when you write to them three times, they, they end up just le- I'm like, seriously? Is this what you, <laughs> you know? So then when he wanted to take the car, it was uh, this one afternoon. We would had, I, we had his daughter over stay at the weekend and Cameron, my son, was at his dad's. So we had the girls here at my house and... He was like, oh, got up in the morning, right, I'm off out. Where's the keys? Well, no, hang on a second. You need to take your daughter home for a start off. And you're not taking my dad's car to just go razzing around doing whatever you're doing and getting these tickets. So I hid the keys and I hid them in the bedroom. And then he came up to the bedroom, started trying to pull the drawers out. Like I'd hid them. I was standing by the dressing table and he started trying to get past me. And I ended up being falling pushed fall, falling into the drawers and I broke my ribs and I screamed out because it was so painful and so loud as well that the girls came up and were like oh you know Sophia's like mummy and I was like oh god you know the girls and you know Jason just um he just left he just got up he just left so I left his daughter with me and I just thought, well, I'm going to have to get her back to her grandparents. So I had to get the girls in the car and and drop her back. And then I I told his mom what had happened. And she said the weirdest thing. I even showed her. My, literally, my ribs came up purple straight away. They were, they were clearly cracked or something. And I showed her and she said, oh, no, I can't. Um, I can't, Zoe. I've still got maternal feelings for him. It was the weirdest response. I I still can't get my head around that response. I've still got maternal feelings for him. Well, the fact she wasn't shocked as well is is something that is a red flag. You know, Mm -hmm. this is something that has happened before. And just your language, I just want to take you back to what you just said, Zoe, because you said, you know, whether I was pushed or whether I fell... Mm. But the fact was, he was the one searching frantically for the keys and you were stood in the way. Yeah. So the likelihood is there was interference, I'll put it this way, interference from him somehow, even if you resisted him. Yeah. But you ended up being injured. And when you were injured, what's important to me was his response, which was to disappear. So Mm. rather than to, I'm so sorry, oh my goodness, Zoe, are you okay? this has got out of hand. Do we need to call a doctor? Do you need to go to hospital? His response was to get the hell out of there, leaving you feeling unwell with two little ones, one Mm -hmm. of them being his own daughter. And that tells me a lot about him. Mm -hmm. And it tells me it's probably not his first time where something like that has happened. And his response is flight, disappear. And when you bring it up to his mum, it sounds to me just how you've described it is that she wasn't shocked or surprised. She didn't want to get in the way or in the middle of it. But you were showing her that you had been hurt. And mm. rather than saying again, do you need me to call a doctor? Are you OK? Her response was just to say, I'm not getting involved in this, which tells me there's a pattern here well, and there's a history. And she kind of said, well, his dad's going to be back in a minute, you know, and it was more like kind of shooing me out the door. So that was the beginning of the unravelling. It sounds like it was, and we know that things got worse from there. And I'd really like you to go into that detail and tell my listeners what happened thereafter. Okay, I'm jumping in here. 
You're going to hear more about the unravelling of Jason Smith, or as I call it, the escalation of behaviour, in part two of the interview which drops next week. Until then, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts, for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Harfoga Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.